The burn is about telling cancer stories like you've never read or heard before. They go way deeper than the medical facts to the transformation of survivorship. And in the process, they talk about the healing power of writing. Whether you've been diagnosed with cancer or not, you'll be inspired to write the stories in you that need to be shared. Come for the stories, stay to discover how to write your way back to yourself. Great. All right. Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. <laughs> hey, Stephanie. Hi. Hi, Amy. Hi, welcome to Cancer for Breakfast. Hello, my listeners. Hi, um, let's just get right into it. We have a lot to talk about. We have some great letters. We have great rats. We have some chitter chatter to talk. Um, I don't know if this is healthy, but I enjoy staying up way past my bedtime <laughs> <laughs> reading about um, cancer shit, which doesn't seem like what kind of cancer shit. Okay. Recently I've been just going to clinicaltrials.gov and, um, I'm using that as a base for anything I'm interested in, uh, like mushrooms. We talk not, um, psychedelics. I'm talking medicinal mushrooms yeah. you eat as food turkey tail turkey tail all that stuff and I'm, I'm a strong believer already that mushrooms are really good at have anti-tumor properties and i try to eat them as often as possible but i was wanting to just read more about it and there are just like so many studies in general yeah. about mushrooms not just cancer specific they're just so magical and you know, one was saying if you even eat like an eighth of a cup of mushrooms a day and they can, they don't have to be, you know, reishi or, you know, they don't have to be the, they can be like grocery store button mushrooms, brown button mushroom. Yeah. And it's just, I think it's like, okay, they haven't gotten around to studying every single mushroom and its specific effect mm -hmm. on every single type of cancer. Um, but I'm just, doing my best to order anything with yeah but i'm also reading about like sketchy stuff with cancer um like scandals scandals baby oh i love it i love love reading about a scandal i want to talk about one i sent you this one it's on the news a lot of people have been hearing about this and i want you to break it down because you're better at that than me <laughs> I don't think that's true. But yes, are you, you are. The... Everyone knows it. <laughs> are you talking about the cervical cancer one? Yes. I'm talking about oh. Vicky Phelan, cervical check. Oh, my God. The lab in Austin. You guys get ready get to be ready. fucking outraged. It's a crime. It's, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a literal crime, I think. <laughs> um, but so it turns out that in Ireland, there were a ton of people who got pap smears or a smear test, as I guess they call it there. Let's just it, call it the smear test. I, I, I That's a good little. <laughs> it's true. It's somehow more dignified sounding than pap smear, but. They're both so, pretty gross. They're, they're gross. Um, and a ton of people got their smear tests and were returned result, lab results, pathology results that said they were clear mm -hmm. when in fact they had early cervical cancer or their results were actually highly suspicious for cervical cancer. And there are a ton of people, like I'm talking upwards of 200 people mm -hmm. who ended up developing cervical cancer or who already had it when they 
had these tests performed and the lab returned false results. And the the most prominent, the, the biggest activist for, for this cause was Vicki Phelan. She had a smear test in what was it, 2011? Yep, she got it in 2011 and her cancer was just allowed to de- to develop. It was allowed to spread throughout her body completely untreated until she was finally diagnosed um in 2014 and then she just died, I think. Um right. within the last few weeks. So imagine if 2011 she had known this could have been a surgery. Right. And a full recovery in all likelihood. Um and the same is true for hundreds of other women. There were 18 women who actually died before the news came out <sighs> that the lab results were inaccurate. Um, and it's just, it's infuriating. The articles that I'm reading talk about, you know, the intersection of like misogyny and corruption in medical companies Mm -hmm. the actual lab that performed the tests is in texas and clinical pathology laboratories inc of austin yeah rotten hell right exactly and i i can't imagine how many people had to know about this they knew for what was it three years before they actually started telling people that their results were wrong oh that is the part that is the most inhumane part of it because who knows why the results were showing false negatives. I haven't, I don't think that that's listed anywhere in anything that I've read. No. Um, but to catch that at any given point and to not immediately call people and say, come back in, because imagine any symptoms that you've had, if you get that pap smear two, three years later, and maybe you're spotting, maybe you have, you know, pain in your abdomen or, I mean, I don't know, right. something feels off. You're not going to say, maybe I should go get retested. You're going to say, well, I was already tested. And your doctor will too. Your doctor will say, yeah. well, you just had this normal pap six months ago or a year ago. One really interesting thing that you brought up is that some of the women did realize something was off because they knew they had HPV, but on that test it was showing they didn't have HPV. So they were like, something might seem off. But, but how did she even found it? She just like happened to f- to find it herself, didn't she, Vicky? Yeah, what I read was that she was actually left alone in, a, in an exam room with her own chart and she started thumbing through her own chart and finally found out the extent to which she had been misled. The fact that it's in her chart and her doctor isn't even notified to go see that there were results that were changed, you know? Yeah. I mean, I want to say, I want to assume the best of like her personal physician or whatever. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to necessarily say that that doctor is corrupt, but like, I think by numbers, we can assume the best because there's no chance that they had this. This would be part of the news article if they had hundreds of doctors covering it up, unless they all have the same doctor, then we have a whole well, other problem. Well, for sure, for sure. But, you know, w- I I can imagine a doctor thinking, well, now she's been diagnosed with stage four cervical cancer. What good would it do to tell her mm. that she had pathology done by this lab who we now know right. was returning inaccurate results? Yeah, And I can see somebody making that choice professionally. I don't think it's right. I think she should have been told immediately, regardless of whether or not there's anything that sh- that could have been done about it. But if not for her, Vicki Phelan, this woman who was completely mm-hmm. screwed by multiple <laughs> medical providers and, mm-hmm. you know, service providers if she hadn't taken up the cause and taken it all the way through the court system in Ireland when she had been offered a settlement and she said, no, I'm, mm-hmm. I want to take this all the way through the court. I'm not going to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Mm-hmm. Which I think some of these women did sign. Oh, no doubt. No judgment or whatever. But like the fact that these are even being offered, like no disclosure agreements instead of just trying to right the wrongs makes me. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, maybe you're, you're about to die and you think, well, I may as well just take the settlement for my family or, you know, or whatever. They don't think that they're necessarily going to make it through court proceedings, but thank goodness for Vicky Phelan, like what a champion against corruption in these systems and a champion for women um, and a champion for public health. Like, I hope that she felt the gratitude, not only of the people who were misled about their smear test results, but also just people all over the world who yeah, rely on <laughs> screening tests yeah. and need those results to be accurate. She says, I don't want your apologies. I don't want your tributes. I don't want your aide de camp at my funeral. I don't want your accolades on your broken promises. I want action. I want change. I want accountability. I want that for her too. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. It's awful. I guess this cervical check test that it's like one word, capital C, cervical, capital C check test that this Austin lab does. They also do bowel check and breast check i think are the names of those two lab tests that are now under scrutiny for you know i don't know what at this moment but they are under scrutiny and like see what happens when they review all of those but god to not even give somebody a chance and to not even allow these systems that are in place to protect our health yeah to do the job that they're supposed to do to you know god you have to outsource lab work that's like what labs are for and for them not to be the most trusted arm of the whole machine you know exactly exactly it's just criminal and i think that vicky phelan was awarded something like 2.8 million or something like that but um obviously it wasn't necessarily about the money for her since she could have settled probably for more yeah but what's two million dollars you know for a a giant lab it's probably nothing it's probably probably covered by their malpractice insurance and what's two million dollars to her two children who now don't have a mom you know yeah it's just a waste it's a complete waste it makes me so angry um yeah so yeah i mean i i not like I enjoy reading about stuff like this, but I think it's important to read about stuff like this. So we know what's happening. It's crazy. I've been like, honestly, just looking up the names, any sort of lab or um, organization even, and the word scandal after their name. Yeah. (laughs) As part of my late night research, it's really crazy that like especially in cancer like there's always the ceo or not ceo executive director (laughs) stealing the money or like oh my god breast cancer charities in particular that if you just even look for like breast cancer charity scam there are so many because in the united states our healthcare system is such a disaster that people take advantage of that fact by you know creating these bunk charities because people are desperate you know and so there was one in michigan that just got busted there was another one um that was like brett favre the football Mm -hmm. player had a phony breast cancer charity he did he himself or somebody he did it in his name. Oh, he Brett, himself. I yeah. trusted you. <laughs> did you? I um, mean, <laughs> yeah. You can't even say his last name, Amy. I don't think he's I thought it was Favre. It's Favre? It's F-A-V-R-E. Favre. We can't even trust his name pronunciation. No. <gasps> um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's important. Like, it sucks that you have to do due diligence for every Every thing. single thing. Man, you think cancer is just something that's destroying good things like human beings are the cancer of the <laughs> of the goodness earth. of the world. Yes. <laughs> of the earth. Um and it shall wear the asteroid, right? <laughs> um can I tell you another thing that I did read about very very briefly because I will butcher this and it probably should actually be a rats that you do professionally 
and I, as an unprofessional, will just briefly <laughs> yes. mention because this is one of the articles as I'm perusing um, that I thought is really, really exciting. So this is my interpretation of a rats. It's not actually a rats. This is All like, right. I'm excited. This is like street mice. it's like not helpful but it exists um okay so this i read in cancer research uk this is really exciting for um finding out how metastasis happens and how cells behave and so basically i'm just gonna do it briefly Mm -hmm. okay the way that cells metastasize is they're they're isolating this thing called NALCN. It's a protein in all of our cells. Isn't that that weird sex cult? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you don't know what street mice is about. It's not about cancer some, research. Some real pizza rat shit. Amy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but NALCN, Nelson. Let's just call it Nelson. 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 Um, All right. But this protein is, they're finding is like a key regulator of metastasis. And so they've been doing stuff with some street mice. Okay. Uh Um, What's interesting is they're finding that healthy cells use this protein and cancer cells use this protein. But basically, I'm not explaining this very well. Why don't I just jump off a bridge, you guys? (laughs) It. You've got this. You've got this, Styles. Okay. Okay. So break it down for us, Amy. Oh, I can't. I don't know how. Help me. Okay. So it seems <laughs> like from this article, this is this is. How, I'm not that good at this either. You know. No. Um. From this article that that we both have read, and my, one of the, us retained, and the other one. <laughs> the main point that I took away was. One thing that they said, which, you know, I'm, I love an analogy. So <gasps> I was going to say the analogy, too. I was like, that's the best part of the article. Yeah. Is it about the houses? The houses. Yes. So okay. They well, said, just like, listeners, I was going to say a thing about the houses, too. Okay, go ahead. Well, it's it really is, I think, the best illustration of the principle. So okay. ha- the the article says that we have thought of our organs and our bodies like houses on a street mm-hmm. where, you know, each organ is separate, but in fact, they do share materials and one can move to the other. Like say there's a, you know, there's a hole in the roof of one house. The roof from the house next door can kind of multiply and move on over. Mm -hmm. And so that's a natural process that happens. And then the same thing is happening with metastasis, but it's just with cancer cells. Yeah. And the cancer cells are um, taking advantage of that feature that the human body is doing. And then they're getting in there and that's helping them to metastasize because, you know. Yeah, because it's already a process that's happening. So they call it groundbreaking, which both of us were like, it sounds like they really are hyped about it, but we had a hard time we, understanding I know, it for a minute. Yeah. We, when I said you just do it, it's because we had to pause and I couldn't, I didn't know how to speak. I don't know how much we're going to leave in there, how much I'll let us leave in there. Um, I like it though. You know, we're trying to understand it together. We're not fucking professionals. We're not scientists, but I think stuff like this is exciting once you find that kernel that helps you to understand. Yeah. But it's like, if they can shut off the goddamn thing, that's moving a brick from one side of the street to the other side of the street to at least make it more safe when it's going so that that can't be infiltrated. Yeah, and great. This NALS, NALCN, one thing that's interesting is that this gene um, that makes the protein NALCN, which is a channel in the membrane of our cells that lets tiny molecules of salt pass in and out of them. When I first read that, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, whatever, let's tiny molecules of salt pass in and out of them. Okay, whatever. There's salt in your body. Who cares? Yeah. But another thing during my late night scrolling about cancer and hacky ass people, have you heard of this dude who does these huge, huge salt um, flushes into people with cancer? And he's like, oh, my gosh, we should do a whole episode on him and some sort of a, a thing. But essentially, oh. 
Stanislaw Brzezinski. Ooh. Um, go to his webinar. Well, you probably have to pay a lot of money to go. <laughs> I love <He> looks, salt. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like Stefano DeMero for any of you Days of Our Lives watchers <laughs> of the 90s, 2000s. Um, but yeah, here he is with his mustache and his um, suit and tie and big hair. Um, but I think he does really sketchy stuff with cancer patients with salt. And he has no... Uh, FDA approval. He has no, um, he has so many clinical trials that he's using to give these high, 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 crazy amounts of salt to put into people as their cancer treatment. Um, no, that he's claiming he has like 69 clinical trials or something insane like that. Um, with clearly no intention of ever finishing the trials, but using them as ways to like recruit. Yeah. I don't know. It's really, really sketch. I shouldn't have even brought it up because that's a whole can of worms, but I'd never heard of like salt having anything to do with actual cancer. So maybe he's right. Maybe he's onto something. <laughs> <laughs> he solved cancer. Um, I love, I love the scam and scandal talk. Um, sadly, it really abounds in the cancer world, but mm-hmm. These people. Cool. We'll we'll obviously put that um article about the metastasis and Nelson in the show notes for all of you to try to decipher on your own since we didn't do <laughs> a very high quality job. Yes, yes. Okay. Um I was wondering if you would do me the fave as well. I have two great letters today mm-hmm. that are both a little longer ones. So I thought we'd split up the chore here. All and right. I'm just making stuff do everything this episode. That's fine. It's fine, Amy. I have a broken wing. Oh. I, can't, I can't fly today. <laughs> I've got your back. Thanks. Right. No prob. All right. Um, here goes. Dear Amy and Steph, can we talk cancer support groups for a second? I'd like to preface this by saying... I am a huge advocate of support groups and connecting with others that are going through similar life stages or struggles as we are. I've been really struggling on my quest for finding a cancer support group, though. It's an odd thing, really. We want to find others going through similar situations slash diagnosis to either learn from them, find support, normalize our feelings or side effects, have a sounding board, but then you have to also navigate the possibility of being consumed by others' outcomes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For me, that is very real as I was diagnosed stage four de novo and I have young kids. Me too, girl. Or whatever your gender is. Sorry, didn't mean to assume. So support groups are either full of people twice my age, don't have young kids, or what's hardest for me personally, people whose treatment isn't working or going well. My therapist doesn't really want me in support groups because I take on others' struggles and have a hard time not fearing for the same or similar outcome in my own journey. Before getting breast cancer, I saw these quote-unquote perfect pink images of women walking together to survive cancer. Maybe they became their closest friends or they have weekly positive hangouts, but the metastatic and young with metastatic support groups don't look like this. Most of us don't do chemo, lose our hair, and will never be off drugs. We will always have the shadow that it's there and most likely growing or spreading. And if we join in groups with lower stages, we're the thing they fear the most. Uh, Yeah. Any tips on how to find support and even be supportive of others while not taking on their grief or the fear that your treatment will have the same fate? Thank you. Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit before yeah, um, on the podcast. And I think it's like, it's the thing, right? It's like yeah. the double-edged sword of finding support and then to not find support and to only have the support of your friends and family who don't get it mm-hmm. is also not good enough. It's also interesting to me, this has been on my mind a lot because of my most recent scans, which were great. Um, There's still even a hierarchy like within metastatic support groups Mm -hmm. where if you're doing really well, like I don't feel 
comfortable sharing my wins because there's always people who are doing poorly. And even though I don't think that they're probably going to begrudge me a good scan, I still don't want to make them feel bad. Oh, that bums me out that you feel that way. Not that you aren't allowed to feel that way, but it makes me, I don't know. It just illustrates even further the problem with it all, you know? Yeah. Because you know that none of those people are begrudging you for the good scan. I mean, honestly, think I think they some are? Of, I think some of them probably are. I think some of them like don't want to hear it and like Yeah, you're right. They're totally right. I I mean, they're completely justified in feeling that way like Mhm. I don't think that they necessarily would probably tell me or like if I posted in one of the groups or something that I was happy, I don't think they would be like, go to hell. But I think probably a lot of them would feel bummed about it and would or, you know, would like roll their eyes or put me on mute or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't I don't want that for them. I don't want them to feel bad. Um, Meanwhile, there's some newly diagnosed person just joining the group who would love to hear that two years into your first line of treatment, you're like as close to no evidence of active disease as anyone could want. Yeah, I know. And that's, that's the thing is what this person says is so true that if you are in the early stage groups, you're like the golem, you know, that Mm -hmm. nobody wants to look at. And it is really hard when you have Mets and young kids because that's a rarity too. Unfortunately, a lot of people who wind up with metastatic cancer weren't able to have kids. And so right. that community that's is That's a whole other thing. I know. Oh. Yeah. In Portland, I've helped to start a, a metastatic breast cancer group just speak for young people because there just kind of isn't really one that's dedicated just for that group here that meets in person and We've talked about it before on the podcast, so we've been doing it. But I even fear as a peer leader, I mean, not metastatic, but as a, I'm a patient, yeah. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a social worker, I'm not a therapist. Um, like, we don't say you can only come if you're doing well, or you can only come if you've been diagnosed in the last however many years and or anything, you know, but I secretly am like, if somebody comes who is really, really declining heavily, then it, that becomes for those people in the group, exactly what we're talking about. Oh, so the early stages are afraid of the metastatic or the incurable person or whatever, where the yeah. people who are newly diagnosed might be afraid of seeing somebody that's not doing well, while the person who is doing well doesn't want to hurt the feelings of the people that aren't doing well. I mean, I even think about it with this podcast where like, you know, for a handful of episodes, we're not, neither of us are in active, heavy, heavy chemo or anything, you know? Yeah. So the things that would be coming up if I was in my chemo days that would be at the tip of my tongue just aren't here. So like, are we not connecting with people who are more in the shitstorm of the moment, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I wonder that too. I do think like from the people that I've been close to who have declined and died, I think that there seems to be a tendency to really turn inward. And so I'm not sure that they're necessarily seeking out a ton of support group support. But honestly, like, yes, sometimes I get scared seeing what is happening with other people. But I would say by and large, like, I have a pretty good grasp on like what's happening with me, myself personally. And mm-hmm. I have to do the work to not onboard other people's situations. You know, it's not me. Yeah. We say this all the time that yep. somebody else's story is not your story. Yep. And I do want to spend that time with people who are declining. I I want to be there for them if that's something that they feel is valuable like Mm -hmm. I'm not worried um I do think that the onus is on us who are doing better to think about it and and worry about it I don't Mm -hmm. it's not like I need a ton of heavy support um 
<laughs> right now I have good scans. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. I think like when you break down support groups into even tinier and tinier and tinier groups, it can, it can be effective, but then you also have to hope that you actually get along with those people. Like right. there's a parenting specific METS, breast cancer METS group. And I just haven't really connected with any of those, any of those people. Is it like an online or like a Zoom it's, or? It's online and they do Zoom meetings also. And it's just not really, not my scene. Like mm-hmm. just, it's like four people and not necessarily people I would probably hang out with or right. have anything in common with. And so mm-hmm. that's tough. Like, you know, it's, it's really hard when you have to chunk it down. So, so small that your pool yeah. is really tiny. Um, yeah, that's really hard. I mean, I guess like the tips for how to find support and be supportive of others while not taking on their grief. Um, just going back to what, what we said, like their story is not your story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> finding whatever version of that resonates with you and making it a mantra. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also sometimes you're not sad because you're worried that some somebody's reality is going to become your reality. Sometimes you're sad because you get to know these people and you, you know, hear about their children and you yeah. know what they've gone through before and like that you're sad for them and you're, um, you know, it's empathy. We, we've got it. Yeah. But also like we do this, we have our support group online, our Facebook group. I'm never, ever bummed on anybody who's doing well that posts or on anybody who's not doing well that posts. Like my worry for people's emotions are less on if somebody posts that they got a bad scan result, that that's going to trigger somebody, you know, like everyone is a part of the group to know that it's all stages. It's all levels of everything. Um, I'm just more glad that they're sharing in that group, you know, and that yeah, we can have empathy and anger and everything for them and for, you know, ourselves. Absolutely. And I also think like perspective really helps me a lot when I think about <laughs> not like I make a pro con list about my life or anything, but <laughs> why not, you though? know? when I'm when I'm kind of trying to take stock of like what's going well and what's not for me like I have so much in in the pro column for myself and yeah even in our support group sometimes somebody will be like you know my marriage is kind of falling apart or like people having a really hard time financially and like those are sources of grief too and Mm -hmm. I think it's not necessarily just about who has the worst cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be about just seeing people through these life stages and being privileged enough to share that vulnerability with them and valuing that for what it is and supporting them when the news is good and when it's bad. And unfortunately, I think the reality of it is that there is no fix for this issue and it's just going to keep coming up like once you're in this sucky ass club Mm -hmm. with the best members (laughs) um as everyone likes to say uh that is just not I don't know how you can how much therapy you can go do how much meditation how much freaking uh psilocybin you can take to be okay with this for other people, for yourself, for the double-edged swordness of being close to it yeah. or being away from it. Yeah. If you're already in this club, like there's no good answer. There is not like people's situations are all different, but like, I don't know. I feel like for this person, like, I don't, I don't know if there is a way to fix that other than like falling into the lap of your like, best cancer besties who are like so fun and like taking road trips and having a great (laughs) time together but like I don't know I know I mean I I think truly the the only way is to 
try to balance out the grief with joy, you know, like, yeah, grief is part of life. There's no avoiding it. There's no escaping it. And sure, like we've been dealt a really shitty hand and maybe we'll have more grief as a result of our diagnosis. Sure, probably. But right. um, there's still a lot of joy to be had. And yeah, maybe just try to make sure that you're squeezing that in too. Yeah. And good that you are seeing a therapist too, for yeah. just like focusing on your own feelings and processing everything. That's important too, mm-hmm. but it is so hard. I mean, I feel it too. Some sometimes I go to a support group and I leave it being like, oh, "That was not a good place for me to be today," you know. Yeah, and it's of no fault of anyone, and it's of no fault of it's just the way the freaking cookie crumbles. But for the most part, I think it's worth it. And I think you know, having to expose yourself to the possibility of having that uh, moment, I do think what you get out of it does weigh heavier on the good side yeah i agree i agree but also support groups aren't for you they're too triggering and stressful and don't don't do it that's okay too like if you've got plenty of support in your regular life and you don't need it from cancer people then sweet yeah but this person sounds like they do need it and aren't finding it so yeah it sucks um do you know what did bring me comfort? And I was kind of laughing about it the other day. What? <laughs> was re- Again, this whole episodes of all the weird shit I've been reading. I was reading I like that whole theory that we're all in a fucking um, simulation. <laughs> yeah. I've like read a little bit of, about that. And I th- I think it's like a funny concept and an interesting concept. You know, I'm not saying I believe that or whatever, but. I read this like whole dissection of the people who are like really gung ho about this theory. I'll try to like find the article, but I was really having fun reading about it. And like, it made me feel better. Like as messed (laughs) up as that is, like imagining the possibility that that could be true. It just lightened up a lot of the sadness of the world for me where like if you can like picture yourself as just being this like I mean we all are a piece of salt in a giant sea regardless can I can I just point out that I think you've stumbled on religion (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of the point of religion it is the opiate of the masses right but does it have computer chips particles (laughs) that are so small that that stack together like the computer chips of today that are done in the universe and the way that the universe and molecules work because but yeah i mean i think it's totally true though when you think about yourself as a very small part of a much grander scheme (laughs) it's like very comforting to me also it's like oh cool (laughs) like maybe i'll just become some weird nebula someday what's a little sadness you know (laughs) who cares all right Um, before we start trying to convert people to (laughs) our religion do we have another letter (laughs) i'm not saying i think we live in a simulation but i do think if you okay whatever whatever don't 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 everyone this is the episode where we must not listen to a thing i say okay i am going to now read the second letter if you would just stand by me which is a great movie have you seen that recently no, not recently. It Do is you want to feel? You should. Okay. Here we are. Um, dear Amy and Steph, how do you handle loss while you're also trying everything possible to stay optimistic and fight for your own survival? My friend left this earth almost two months ago. Oh, I should do a content note. That, whatever. Okay. Content note. <laughs> <sighs> We're getting sloppy here, Steph. I know it. It's all right. Okay. My friend left this earth almost two months ago. I say friend because I've been reflecting the magnitude of how important she was to me and the impact this loss has had. And though, oh, and through that, I have determined that she was very much my friend. In fact, we met 11 months ago as acupuncturist and metastatic breast cancer patient. Ella was so much more than a caregiver to me. She not only weekly, oh, she not only weekly alleviated my ailments, in a way that no other acupuncturist or healthcare person ever has. But she was also a spiritual guidance for me. 
She spent hours on the phone to me or my husband during rough times we've had this past year. It seems like the loss of Ella was just the thing to tip over my cup that was struggling to stay afloat with all the heaviness I've been carrying. And now the floodgates can't stop. I spent the better part of my last year focusing on the need to stay positive, to train my mind that I can overcome my diagnosis and be an outlier in the statistics. But now I can't find this place of positivity, despite getting consecutive NAD scans these past four months. From a treatment perspective, I'm struggling to find another acupuncturist to help me. Each visit brings all the feelings back, and I feel as though I'm cheating on her. I've yet to find anyone to alleviate my aches, both physical and mental. So back to my original question, how do you cope and process the significant loss when you're juggling your own sense of loss and desperation to survive? Wow. Damn. I'm so sorry about your friend. Um, Yeah. And it's a support person for her own cancer on top of just losing somebody like, oh, yeah, she was, you know, providing something very tangible, you know, besides friendship. Mm -hmm. The acupuncture is, is a really big deal and a loss for sure. Yeah, I think like... I'm not sure if it's totally the same thing, but I have a maybe similar relationship with my midwife um, who feels like a part of my family, you know, like obviously she cared for me in a medical sense um, Mm -hmm. through all of my pregnancies, but she also is very much somebody who I look to for advice and I look up to and it would be totally devastating to lose her and lose that kind of steady influence. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to say a similar thing to the last letter that like, unfortunately, grief is part of life. Mm -hmm. And the like deep, deep affection that you feel for somebody can't really be teased out from the grief you feel at losing them. And I think the two go hand in hand because obviously you can't have one without the other. Um, Mm -hmm. If the person didn't mean anything to you, then you wouldn't grieve. Right. And I think that grief is just evidence of a really, really amazing relationship that you were so lucky to have. Also, like when you're already dealing with a cancer diagnosis that I assume came out of nowhere as a reality that you are now living. And that's also how when these regular things that just happen, like people die, like, so we're supposed to deal with that on top of everything else. And in that surprise way, like death coming. And like, I was thinking about how we talk a lot, how we we talk smack a lot about how people like to always say to us, well, you could get hit by a bus any day. Yeah. Like we use that example and we always like say it with our, you know, middle fingers in the air. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, or as I say in one of our episodes, like, do you wake up at the middle of the night worrying you're going to be hit by a bus tomorrow? Do you think about every time you see a bus? Do you start to sweat right. and freak out? And is the rest of your day ruined? Like, I don't think so. It's different. Um, But at the same time, I also have like had people who are in my life, pass away from non-cancer things completely out of the blue in the last few months. And like, it has kind of like put my head on a different way because life is just, it is so precious and it is so, so fragile for everybody, you know? Yeah. I will never be a, you will get hit by a bus person. Um, But I mean, I think this letter writer is experiencing just too many life lessons at once that are too heavy to hold because you know like what the hell are you supposed to do when you've got so much on your plate and then you lose somebody that's close to you it's awful it is awful and I don't think there's really any way around that like it just sucks it's destabilizing and you know it deserves adequate time and space to recover from Mm -hmm. I think 
grief is like an illness unto itself. You know, it's definitely something that you have to process and work through and affects your body and it affects your mental health. And like, I think it's, it doesn't get its due really. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, people expect that you're just gonna be sad and then like get over it. Mm -hmm. I think when there's compounding factors, like your own illness at play, it takes a lot longer to process the loss of somebody really special to you. Mm -hmm. Um, and you deserve to take that time. You deserve to have the necessary space and support and comfort. And also like, you might not ever have a connection like that with an acupuncturist. Like, I think that like to separate that expectation or to even like, like your acupuncturist in a way more than you like your, I don't know what kind of doctors you have, radiation oncologist, you know, like yeah, masseuse, like whatever, like the relationship you've built with that acupuncturist is that relationship with that human being. And so when she's saying she's going to these other appointments with their acupuncturist and feeling she's cheating on her, feeling like guilt, like do your best, 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 as hard as it is to just separate those two things. And like, yeah, you know, acupuncture is a thing these people went to school for to learn. Oh, then it's a very helpful thing. And they're just all, you know, they're different pillars of sand on this earth who do the same thing. (laughs) Right. No, I mean, but truly like, They're not connected by a root system, so. Yeah, and your former acupuncturist and friend would definitely want you to continue to have access to this modality of care, you know, for sure. I have no doubt that that she would want you to continue benefiting from it. Um, And hopefully, you know, you'll find somebody that you at least like and and Mm -hmm. can you know, perform the same, same level of care, at least as far as acupuncture goes. But yeah, I mean, if I had to find a new midwife, I would be, I would be horrified and I would be bitter and resentful about it. And, um, I think it's okay to feel all the things that you feel. Yeah. Um, because it sucks. It's, it's unfair and, um, shitty and that, uh, should be recognized. I think. Here, here. Um, sorry, my chair squeaked as I was changing positions, but (laughs) might that be a note that we should change gears here and talk about some little ratty rats? Yeah, let's, let's do it. quick little ditty um, from something in Science Daily that I saw that I found really interesting. It's very recent. It was published just earlier in November. And it's about colon cancer and a dietary change that can enhance treatment along with chemotherapy. So not floating this as any kind of standalone thing, but um, apparently they're finding that cancer cells or colon cancer cells specifically um, have this, I guess, affinity for protein. And so They're trying to see if a low protein diet, um, specifically with a reduction in these two amino acids, can change the way that cancer grows and thrives through a complex called Gator. (laughs) G-A-T-O-R. You knew it was coming, folks. Yeah, I love it. You know, I love the acronyms. Yep. Um, Keep them coming, researchers. Gatorade flavors. (laughs) Freeze one. (laughs) Over (laughs) show. What? Mountain draft. (laughs) 
So um, Gator 1 and Gator 2 work together and they basically uh, keep this particular I don't even know what it is. It's a it's a nutrient or something called MTORC1. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually a it's a nutrient sensing molecule. So I guess it's like a little truffle pig. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. All right. It's the truffle pig of your cells. So it's like sniffing around, looking for protein, looking for amino acids and Gator one and Gator two um, are like the tag team that keep this truffle pig going. Um, this article says that when a cell has plenty of nutrients, Gator two activates the MTORC1, the truffle pig. But when nutrients are low, Gator one deactivates the truffle pig. Mm-hmm. So all of that is to say nutrients are obviously important in this in the regulation of this MTORC but they they weren't totally sure how they they were directly signaling to it so the low protein or limiting amino acids um had stopped cancer from growing in these mice trials and um specifically with colon cancer uh, which had high markers of MTORC. They this correlated with uh, resistance to chemotherapy, uh, which obviously means you're not going to do as well. Worse outcomes. Right. So a low protein diet is not being suggested as a standalone treatment, like I said. But um, they are thinking that because these two amino acids or proteins are what the little truffle pig is after if they can limit the protein then it will hopefully result in cell death which can then help the chemotherapy to work um i think it's interesting obviously you know we are always skeptical when we're looking at things that talk about like limiting dietary stuff because we've been through them all sugar soy blah 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 but um you know, I think it's interesting and it's maybe a an easy-ish thing to try out um, while you're on a particular kind of chemotherapy. It's interesting, though, because they also say protein is so important while you're going through treatment and while you're going through chemo. Like, that's like one thing that is constantly being shoved down your throat from like, you know, like oncology nutritionists and stuff. Well, it's I like, do wonder if that's... protein. I wonder if that's um, something that's not specific to colon cancer. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, just in general, like hearing that protein is affecting it is interesting. If And I, I'm just cautioning too when we say like, well, if you limit something like, you know, maybe for breast cancer, chemo protein is really important to have, you know, like to not have it could be a disservice. I don't know. Yeah, this is definitely colon cancer specific. Mm-hmm. So anyway, University of Michigan has done this study. I will link it in the show notes. I think that, you know, it's interesting to think about, interesting to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. It might just be that it's colon cancer with this particular chemotherapy that might give it a boost. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Interesting to see where it goes. Maybe it's bullshit. Who knows? (laughs) Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things is stuff that not I'm not saying this seems like bullshit. Like, clearly, it's not. It's based off a study. Da, 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 da. Gatorade flavor. Um, (laughs) But maybe we could talk about this in the next episode. If you want to do a little bit of research, this came up in our Facebook group. Um, But I love when things seem so scammy and like, you know, we immediately have these like, oh, when you hear something that just seems like a scam. Yeah. One of those things is intermittent, intermittent fasting, which to me, when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, God, this is like one of those things where somebody's like, have you are you drinking alkaline water yeah, while you're drinking? You're like, you know what, Martha? Not right now. <laughs> um, but intermittent fasting during chemo and like, I don't know the regime. I don't know the specific days. I don't know the 
guidelines around it, but like there are studies that from real reputable sources that say there could be a benefit to it. You know, it's like a real thing. Yeah. And anecdotally, I think you can find any number of people who have said that they had really um, manageable symptoms and side effects using mm -hmm. intermittent fasting around their chemo days. Um, It's one of those things where it's like, well, may as well give it a shot once at least. But doesn't that, when you first heard of that, did it not get you to go oh jesus here we go like the first time you ever heard of it it just oh yeah it just seems like something like that but it, is it seems like a kind of orthorexia i feel like mm. i am very sensitive to anything that even has a hint of orthorexia to it because it just could you define orthorexia for oh any it's just co-hosts that don't have the <laughs> definition specifically i mean i can gather but let me give you the actual dictionary definition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a an obsession with proper or quote unquote healthful eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like it often can encompass like whole 30 paleo keto, sure. all of this stuff. People kind of go through the gamut of all of mm-hmm. these fad diets under the guise of health. But it's really just a different kind right. of eating disorder. And I, totally. I, I definitely think intermittent fasting has that kind of um, <laughs> aroma to it, but right on the surface. Yeah, totally. But I think it also like gets very intertwined with starving cancer, you know, like, Oh, or not eating sugar to starve, like all of that stuff that is not true. There's no, 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 no. Cancer will find a way that's not true. But like, for chemo to do what it's doing and to attack cells in a certain way, like for side effects or for maybe even cell death, it could be. We have to research it. Yeah. Stuff's looking at me like I'm crazy. No, I think that what I'm just shocked that I'm like kind of pro the idea as being legitimate. I am pro the idea as being legitimate if it if it helps. I think like what it might be more of is like mitigating your GI symptoms from chemotherapy. So I don't know how much I think that it could affect like cell death or you know your cancer but i think like if you're able to retain more nutrients and you are less nauseous and you feel better and you're able to get up and move around more around your chemo days then intermittent fasting providing that is great right well i do want to know if it has anything to do with cell death stuff because i think it's more than just symptoms We'll see. We'll see. Maybe there's a rats in the future. Maybe there's a rats. But I will say, I I won't say like wholesale don't think you should fast, but limiting what you eat as a cancer patient tends to be associated with weight loss, which also tends to be associated with poorer outcomes. So, <sighs> but also if you're losing weight, it's not your fault. Truly, um, yeah. it's in intentional. Yeah, intentional. It's weight just loss it's complex, man. Whether we like it or not, maybe unintentional weight loss is not good for outcomes either. We just don't like to say it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think like I was specifically warned against intentional weight loss, which is wild to me as somebody who's fat. But um, my oncologist has specifically said like no intentional weight loss. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you're like on this AI, not going to happen anyway. <laughs> Thanks. How convenient. How convenient. I'm getting acing all my <laughs> classes, Doc. Um, all right. Well, we should probably wrap it up. We've gone a little over. Mm-hmm. And, True. Uh, you know, so send us letters, you guys. They can be about anything. What's going on with you? Do it. Bye. Bye. Cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. We're still locked out of our Instagram. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Will we ever get back? We don't know. (laughs) Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com.
so much for listening. Thanks for listening.